So there's the thing that we want to know about step one is that you just kind of have to realize that maybe you can believe in something. You have to surrender and you have to believe that there is something greater than you. Welcome to the Recovery Edgecast. My name is Alfredo and I am an alcoholic. I'm your host. Uh, today we have Heather H. with us. How are you, Heather? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me today. Thanks for coming on the show. It's awesome. Um, I've, I met you around the Longmont area, the meetings out here. This is your stomping grounds, right? Yes, it is now. Yeah. Uh, why don't you give us your sober date and your home group? So my sober date is May 14th of 2014. And um, I am sober now for almost just over eight years by the grace of God, of my understanding. Congrats. Thanks. Eight I feel years. very blessed. How about a home group? My home group is the Root Awakening at this point in Longmont, and it's a 7 a.m. group. It's an amazing group of people. 7 a.m.? you got to be amazing well, to make a 7. Yeah, I, I haven't been real great about it lately, but when I do go, it, it helps me out a ton. They have groups all day long, So, but it's the Triangle Club here in Longmont off of Kimbark in between um, 11th and Mountain. I was just there, what, Saturday? For a speaker meeting. They have a speaker meeting every Saturday. It's cool, so. Right. Sometimes if you show up for a speaker meeting and they don't have one, you get picked. Right? That's what they do. <laughs> and, and I know Richard spoke on Saturday and, and last Saturday because he was picked and they didn't have somebody and it was amazing. And he did a fabulous job, I heard. I wasn't able to speed, be there, but. Yeah, he did. So. Yeah, he does a lot of great work out here. He does. He? he does a great work over at A Way Forward, which yeah. is another recovery place. And they have amazing, amazing stuff over there, different groups and different recovery things and if you can do that that's over off of sixth and terry um, i would encourage you to go check that out and as those well. are all day every day things all day every day they're open seven days a week it's yeah. a really amazing place that's cool so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself okay um so like i said i've been sober since may 14th of 2014 um i am from boulder but please don't hold that against me <laughs> because i am still sort of normal um one of the things that I learned about myself is that I am a grateful alcoholic, but I'm also a nerd alcoholic. So by being a nerd alcoholic, um, I learned that I kind of like to really study different things about alcoholism. And when I first came into AA, I had just gotten out of um, a kind of a treatment center. And my dear friend who helped me out and brought me into AA in 2014 said, why don't you come out to Newport Beach, California? Come on out and um, we'll take care of you for the week and kind of regroup. And so I did. And when I got there, she looks at me and she says, you know, Heather, you look and act just like an alcoholic, but you don't drink. Well, she'd never seen me drink. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was one of those drinkers that was like once every 10 years. But mm -hmm. when I drank, I drank. And little did she know that I was downing al um, alcohol in a different form, and that was NyQuil. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was so addicted to NyQuil because I couldn't sleep. So, um, so she says, all right, we're going to take you to your first meeting. And um, 
So we go to our first meeting and she hands me a 12 and 12 and she says, um, what I want you to do is I want you to come to this meeting and just say your name and then um, that you're an alcoholic and then just shut up and listen. And that's what I did. And so here we are, we walk into this meeting and I'm like, oh my gosh, the room is dark and all the lights are out, right? And there's candles on the table. And I'm like, am I walking into the twilight zone? It was weird and I had no idea what to expect, right? And so everybody's going around introducing themselves and they're doing their normal speech, you know, speech and etc. And then, so I introduce myself and then I shut up and I listen. But I still am in the twilight zone and I'm hearing all this stuff. And so for the next seven days, right, I'm reading the 12 and 12 and I'm like, oh, I got to study this because I'm a good student and I'm highlighting and listening, right? So then I fly back to Colorado and I had just gotten out of the institution and I had lost my husband, I'd lost my sanity, I'd actually had a heart attack in this, this treatment center because they gave me the wrong medication and it killed me and they brought me back to life obviously. And now I'm back in Colorado and I'm gung-ho. I am now living in Johnstown, Colorado and I am gonna be the best AA student when I walk in there and I'm gonna find a sponsor and I've got my big book and I've got my As Bill Sees It and I've got my 12 and 12 and I've got my colored pencils and my highlighters and I've got my concordance and I'm walking down those stairs into the group and it is little dingy and a little dirty and there's people down there and they're introducing themselves to me and I'm thinking ooh they'll call on me ooh 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 I'll be like Horseshock hey call on me call on me I'll have the answers right and so I get down in there and I'm sitting there and the meeting starts and they start talking and, and I'm not kidding you man uh, not to be crude or anything but my butt cheeks were so tight like you could not even get dental floss in between them if you wanted to I was so nervous at my first meeting right so the meeting starts and then all of a sudden here we are I'm like sitting there and I'm Linus and I'm Lucy and I am one of the peanuts gang and I'm like listening to these people talk and I'd already been to these meetings in in Newport Beach right but they start talking and they start reading and all of a sudden you hear this right what you hear in the Phoenix King yeah. and nothing is getting through to me and my mouth is open I'm sure like dropped jaw to the floor and I'm thinking what if they call on me what if they ask me a question I'm not gonna know what to say what if they find out that I'm not really a good enough alcoholic what if they kick me out they're gonna kick me out I'm not good enough to be an AA maybe I shouldn't even be here maybe I should get up maybe I should take all my books and I should just go and I was so nervous I was sweating bullets right so that's kind of how my first meeting went and then they welcomed me in however I was pretty angry when I first came in so um, so how do you you think okay so I'm an AA nerd and I'm thinking I'm not good enough to be an alcoholic and well here I am in AA and you're thinking well how does someone who's not good enough to be an alcoholic come into AA well let me tell you a little about about my growing up okay 
Um, there's a quote that I like, and it's from Hope Floats. And it says this. The quote goes like this. My dad says that your childhood is the happiest time of your life. Well, the Hope Floats doesn't agree with that, and neither do I. Okay, so the quote continues by saying that childhood is what you spend the rest of your life trying to overcome. Beginnings are usually scary, endings are usually sad, but it's the middle that counts the most and you need to remember that when you find yourself at the beginning, just give hope a chance to float up and it will. And I think that's what I really need everybody to hear when they, they hear me speak is that when you first walk into these rooms, you're never going to be alone. There's always somebody that you can talk to. There's always somebody that's going to reach out a hand and shake your hand and say, welcome. But you're never, ever going to be alone. I know I never felt lonelier when I first walked into these rooms, but I was never alone. I was pissed. I was tired. I was scared, but I was never, ever alone. And well, now I'm going to tell you how my life began. So when I was born, I was born into a family of alcoholics. So my grandfather was a drunk for 27 years, okay? And my mom is an adult child of an alcoholic. So my grandfather was not someone that you wanted to be around. I mean, my mom, when she got married and met my dad, was afraid that he was gonna ruin the entire wedding. Uh, she didn't even know what to do. She was so nervous. But after 27 years, my grandfather found AA. And when he found AA, he did some really pretty amazing and miraculous things. Um, he actually went on to become a member, a board member for 25 years of the National Council of Alcoholism. And he brought thousands and thousands of people, maybe, I don't know, so many people to sobriety. Um, one of the things that the National Council of Alcoholism did was they awarded him the Gold Key Award. Um, in 1982, that's when he received that. But in 1970, um, there's a thing called the Hughes Bill. And the Hughes Bill is the, the, the bill that is called, it's, it's called actually the um, uh, Comprehensive Alcohol Abuse and Rehabilitation Act, something like that, and signed, it was signed by President Nixon on December 31st. And um, my grandfather went to Congress and actually stood in front of Congress and spoke his piece. And this actually came into play so that people like you and me could go into where I went into a treatment center and get help and get funding and come out and realize that we have a disease called alcoholism. And um, so I think one of the reasons that my father had this problem and why he, he was so keen on getting this passed was because um, two years before he did this in 1969, when I was two years old, my, um, my aunt was killed in a car accident by an alcoholic. So I'm going to get a little bit more into that later. So let me tell you a little bit about his middle daughter, which was my mom. Now, my mom went to see you, and she was a pretty amazing woman. She was very, very artistic, and she was full of fun, and she loved people, and she loved kids, 
and she wanted a slew of them, right? And um, so she wanted to become a teacher and she became an art teacher. And she loved musicals and she loved anything that had to do with creativity and her art was amazing. She did some really great art artistic things. Um, but she was a lot like um, someone who just would have been maybe a little bit better as an aunt than a mom. And unfortunately, she couldn't have children. So she adopted four. She adopted two alcoholics and the other two were not alcoholics, or they didn't fall victim into and become alcoholics. And then there was my dad, and my mom was from Oak Park, Illinois. Then there was my dad. My dad was a good old boy. He was a good old boy from Casper, Wyoming. And they met at CU, and my dad was pre-med when they met, and he loved fishing, and he loved children, and he was an only child. And um, he and my mom met and married, and they adopted, like I said, four kids. And so they were the greatest couple, and who wouldn't want to give them four children, right? But again, he too probably would have been better as an uncle than as a parent. So they portrayed themselves as the greatest family in the world. And if you looked at this family from the outside in, they were the perfect family. Happy Days family. Look at us. We're great. Everything's fine. Everything's good. Everything's perfect, right? Well, like I said, when my grandfather took that bill to Congress in 1970, two years prior to that, when I was adopted, my aunt was killed in a car accident in 1969 about, and I was two years old. So I had a six-year-old brother, a four-year-old brother, um, excuse me, I had an eight-year-old brother, a six-year-old brother, a four-year-old sister, and I was two. And my mom got very, very involved in trying to figure out how to deal with the death of her sister. She was very close to her sister, and she became comfortably numb, okay? Not that my mom was into alcoholism or drugs or anything like that. That's not what I mean by comfortably numb but she did kind of lose herself in trying to figure out how to bring in the youngest child, which the youngest daughter of her sister back into our family because her sister's husband was an alcoholic and abusive person. So she kind of disconnected is how I'm gonna say it. And I was left to the care of my three other siblings. Even though she didn't mean to do it, she just kind of checked out. Now my dad was in charge of the boys and my mom was in charge of the girls. So at that point, I kind of just got forgotten, not intentionally. And, and she wasn't mean to me, she wasn't rude to me, it just was kind of disconnected. I can honestly remember, I don't remember being hugged a lot. And she seems to think that I sat on her lap all the time and, I, and, and she held me and, and I don't remember any of that. So by the time I was six years old, is when my first memory came into play. And um, I remember my nightmares. And that's when the abuse started. And I remember the abuse and the nightmares. And um, so that's when things started changing in my life. Um, the night terrors came in, I was afraid to go to sleep. Um, but everybody else in my family 
they were all happy. They were back in this feeling of, hey, everything's good, happy days, happy days, right? But I was stuck in this very dark place. I was in a very, very dark place. I didn't know what to think, how to feel, um, and I was only six years old. And it's very hard for a six-year-old to understand what's going on when, they, when there's abuse in the family, right? So by the time I was 10, now mind you, I started swimming at five years old and um, even four years old. I became um, a competitive swimmer and I really worked hard to be the best at everything that I could be. No matter what I did, I was going to be the strongest, the best, the, the hardest worker. I was going to clean the house. I was going to do everything my mom said. I was going to do everything that anybody said just so that I could be good. Because if I was good enough and everybody saw that I was being good and I didn't get in trouble and I didn't do anything wrong, maybe, just maybe, the abuse would stop. So by 10 years old, I was a strong swimmer. I was a great swimmer. I was one of the best swimmers on the swim team at my age group. And um, I thought if I mowed the lawn or if I cleaned the house or if I did the dishes or if I got good grades and I didn't do anything wrong that my mom would see me and she would pay attention to me and she didn't. And the abuse continued. Well, by 16 years old, I was out there and I was dancing and I was at the roller skating rink and I knew what it was like to feel free, right? And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get down on it, right? And I'm dancing on my skates and I'm feeling free, but I'm still in this dark place and I'm miserable and I'm tired. And I have to tell you, at 10 years old, my first thought was to disappear. And I started abusing a thing called Dimatap. Dimatap was an antihistamine and it was purple and it was a drink and I was drinking Dimatap because my mom used to give it to me for colds and things like that, right? So she would always come back and she's like, where's the Dimatap? Why do we need more Dimatap? I don't know, mom, but we need some more. So I'd sneak into their room and I'd start drinking Dimatap. That may seem simple, but that's where my abuse started for medications and things like that. Well, when 16 years old came, my parents took off and I was gonna have my last supper. They went to Mexico, I went into their, their, their bedroom, and I took everything out of their medicine cabinet. I took it with me to the roller skating rink, and I was gonna have one good last, last skate and take my last supper, and that's what I did. I had my last supper. I took everything that they had in their medicine cabinet, and I downed it, and I was done can't live like this anymore, I'm out. I'm tired, I can't deal with the abuse, I don't want it anymore. So, as soon as I started feeling the effects of the, abuse, of, of the medicine, I got back in my car and I drove to the last person's house that I wanted to see. Well, of course, at 16 years old, you think you know what love is, right? So I drove to this guy's house and he was like four years older, five years older than me and he was in college. And so I knocked on his door and I'm like, hey, this is so-and-so here, I really want to... And his roommate was there and he's like, oh my gosh, this girl is like whacked out. <laughs> so he invites me in and I'm coming and he goes, why don't you sit down? And so I'm like laying on the couch and he's like, let me call this guy. And so he calls up this guy and calls him on the phone and the next thing I know I hear these sirens, right? And there's woo woo and I'm like, oh, this dude called the cops on me. 
So I jump up as best as I can, and I like run out of the house, and I'm like, feet, I'm running so fast, and in boulders, this is where it's at, and I'm running down the stairs, right, and I'm running, running, and I'm there right by Boulder Creek, so I'm running down Boulder Creek as fast as I can, and I think I'm just doing the, like, the, the 10 miles as fast as I can, and the next thing I know, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, wipe out, and I'm flat on my face, right, and there's cops behind me, and I am out flat on my face and in handcuffs and thrown on a gurney and off to the hospital we go <laughs> and I'm at the hospital and I'm like no no please please can't you just let me die just let me die please I just want to die well the fact of the matter is is that you know they were not even sure if they could save me they even told me I was looking at the nurse and I'm like please can't you just let me go? Can't you just let me die? I just want to die. And they're like, Heather, we, d we don't even know if we're going to be able to save you. Your heart is beating so fast. We don't even know if we're going to be able to, to fix this. And by the grace of God, I was saved, right? I, I was able to, to come out of it. And um, so my life goes on and I go to counseling and my parents put me in with a psychiatrist and my dad grounds me for driving under the influence. That's helpful, right? You know? And um, then I go out to California, right? And um, I, uh, <laughs> I uh, live right in San Diego and then I find Mexico. Oh yeah, I'm in Mexico. I'm across the border. And we already know that Heather loves music, right? So she is across the border in Mexico, pushing it. She has found salt and pepper. She's dancing. Uh-huh, oh yeah, we're dancing. And I found tequila. That's where I found tequila. And ooh baby, baby, I am dancing it, and I am loving it, and I am drinking shooters, just one after the other, and I am licking the salt and chasing it with lime, and I am drinking margaritas, and I'm pooping in holes. Did you know that they have holes that you poop in and pee in at Mexico? I mean, it was very glamorous. Don't be jealous, because it was very glamorous, right? So, uh, that, that didn't go very well. And then um, I ended up um, coming back from Mexico and had a couple relationships. And the next relationship I ended up in, um, I um, ended up getting pregnant. And I was with that gentleman. And we um, were supposed to get married. And then our son died at five months old. And um, so that relationship did not go well. Um, so I flew back from California, realized that California was not the best place for me. And I came back to Colorado and, um, when I was in Colorado, I continued to try and do the best thing that I could and live my life. And I got to a point where once again, I was like, I just can't do this anymore. I'm so done, I'm so tired. I was going to doctors, I was going to psychologists and they're like, you're this, you're that, you're bipolar, you're da 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 And so um, 
they had me so high on dethium or depakote lithium uppers for waking up sleeping pills and all this different medication that one night I was sitting in my house and um, I loved to burn oil lamps and so I'm burning this oil lamp and um, I, I'm not, I kid you not I was so medicated I couldn't even focus and I had two dogs one on either side of me boxer German Shepherd and a pit bull border collie and I'm sitting there and I'm like drugged out on this medication from these doctors and I'm like I can't do this anymore so I'm just sitting there watching this oil lamp and all of a sudden with my foot I just swung my foot and the oil lamp knocks over and the whole thing just falls and the fire just goes across my floor and it goes up to my curtains and I just sat there and I just watched my house burn around me and my whole house goes up in flames and I'm just thinking this is it I'm out I get to go out all right I'm on fire because I am so drugged by all the medication these doctors have me on and then I look and I'm like oh Oh my gosh, I can't kill my dogs. So all of a sudden, I stand up and I'm like, I gotta let my dogs out. So I go and I go to the door and I open the door and I let my dogs out. And I'm like, okay, the dogs are out so I can go back in. Well, by the time I got to the door and let the dogs out, the ding fire department was there. So I couldn't go back inside and die. So once again, I didn't get to kill myself. I don't know. This just doesn't work. I'm not very good at killing myself. I'm not a good alcoholic. I'm not even good at being an AA. What am I supposed to do, you know? But I didn't even know about AA at the time, and I didn't know I was an alcoholic at the time. So I go back, and I start living my life, and I go through a couple different more relationships. I end up having my daughter, which was the most amazing thing in the world, and now I'm here today. I'm here today to let you guys know that there is a better way to do things. There is a much better way to do things. And so that's what it was like. What's it like now? It's like coming into AA and now you get to go through steps 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Right? Alright, so let me tell you. This is how you do it. Alright? Step 1. What is step 1? Right? Step one is that our life is unmanageable, right? And we admit we are powerless over alcohol. So um, the, the way that I do this um, is, is really cool. Um, I'm going to tell you that I do this through music. So step one is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, right? And that our lives had become unmanageable. And then step two we come to believe that a power greater than ourselves could could restore us to sanity. Well, let me tell you, when I first came into this program, I couldn't even get a sponsor. People would not touch me with a 10-foot pole. It took me four months, four months to get a sponsor because everybody thought that I was going to internally combust. I was so angry and I was so mad at the world that I had so much to work through that they were afraid that I was going to just blow up. So there's the thing that we want to know about step one is that you just kind of have to realize that maybe you can believe in something. You have to surrender and you have to believe that there is something greater than you, right? And so finally, what I did is I started listening to certain things and certain songs. And, and when you look at step one, there's powerless versus surrender. There's unmanageability. There's providence. What is providence? Providence is God or nature. 
as um, providing protection or spiritual care. There's rapaciousness. That's in the 12 and 12. Aggressively greedy or grasping, right? Precarious, not securely held or in a position. Illusions. We have a deceptive appearance or impression. We, we deceive ourselves, right? We have the illusion that we're in control and we're not, right? We, we need so much to be hopeful. Uh, we need the freedom. We need the freedom to live without the constraint of alcohol. We need to be empowered, right? So here's the thing. I started listening to songs and starting to apply these songs to the steps. And so step one and step two is kind of like this. Our lives are unwritten once we come back into the program and we get to rewrite them, right? So there's this song called Unwritten by Natasha Bedingfield, right? I am unwritten, can't read my mind, I'm undefined, I'm just beginning. The pain, the, the pen's in my hand, ending unplanned. That's precarious, right? Staring at the blank page before you, open up the dirty window. What's the dirty window? The dirty window is all that crap that I went through as a child. That's my dirty window, right? I get to open that up. And then I get to let the sun illuminate the words that you could not find. What is the sun? The sun is AA. The sun is all the, the, the newcomers and the old timers sharing the information that we didn't know. It's Bill W. It's, it's Dr. Bob. It's the, the freshness of learning something new and how to live without alcoholism, without addiction, without anything else that we don't know how to deal with. We're going to learn how to live a whole new life, right? That's the sunshine coming in, illuminating the words that you could not find because it's all written down for us. It's all there in the 12 steps, right? Reaching for something in the distance. Well, what is it in the distance? I don't know what that higher power is yet. I don't know what I can believe in, but I'm going to reach for that because somehow, somewhere, there's something bigger than me, so close that I can almost taste it. Release your inhibitions. Stop being so negative. Feel the rain on your skin. What that rain on your skin is, those are your tears cleansing your soul. Feel the rain on your skin. No one else can feel it for you. No one else knows what you went through. No one else knows your story. No one else knows what it is that you've experienced. There are similarities, absolutely, but no one knows your story like you do. Only you can let it in. Let what in? Let the freedom in. Let the inhibitions go, right? Let the sun in. No one else can let it in, right? No one else can speak the words on your lips. No one else can speak your story. Only you can speak your story. So let me tell you, this is what that song is, right? I'm unwritten, right? I get to start over. This is step one. This is step two, people, right? Who sings this? This is Natasha Bedingfield. Okay. Very cool. Can't read the beginning, the pen's in my hand. Ending unplanned. So you have a lot of um, musical inspiration. Absolutely. Music is the soul of my life. It saved my life. Okay. Really? 
Release your inhibitions, feel the rain on your skin. No one else can feel it for you, only you can let it in. No one else, no one else can speak the words on your lips. Print yourself in words unspoken, live your life with arms wide open. Today is where your book begins, the rest is still unwritten. So your life from here on out, it's unwritten. You get to choose how your program works for you. That's what this is about, right? And then here's the really cool thing. Once you figure out steps one and two, right? You get to move on and you get to go to step three, right? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. We can only be responsible for ourselves. We are not responsible for everything. It is frightening, frightening to let go of control. Everything else is beyond our control, right? So what's, what is step three's prayer, right? We have prayers in here, right? Correct. So our step three prayer um, is... God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Right? Mm -hmm. That's step three. Right? So, in step three... We're frustrated, we're angry still, we're kind of resentful, we still kind of feel helpless, we still have some dishonesty, right? We still are trying to figure out, are we willing? Well, step three has affirmative action. You got to take affirmative action when you get to step three. That's really, really important, right? You need to have step three, and you know what? You need to pray anyway. You got to pray anyway. That's the step three prayer. Well, you want to know what my step three prayer is? It's by Martina McBride. <laughs> and it's called Pray Anyway, right? It's anyway. And this is that one. You have got so much that you can do if you just pray anyway. And you can spend your whole life building things. And that's your willingness. Something from nothing One storm can come and blow it all away Build it anyway Pray anyway, just do it You can chase a dream Seems so out of reach Seems out of reach, but that's affirmative action That's effectiveness Faith, earnestness, it's a decision. Dream it anyway. So what is God? God's your higher power of your understanding. Pray anyway. 
There's a whole song there by Martina McBride. Just pray anyway. And the song's called Anyway. Right? All right. And then when you get to step four, what do you have to do? Oh, my gosh, you have to do your inventory. Right? And that's so scary. And so many people, even me, I left the program when step four. I left for like three months. A lot of people do that. That's common. Right. And I was so afraid of what step four was going to do. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So the greatest thing, my, my sponsor looks at me and she tells me this great joke. And she says, okay, now you've given me all your inventory, right? And she says, now tell me the worst thing that you're never going to tell anybody that you did. Just tell me. Just put it down. Let's get it out. So I looked at her and the sponsee says to her sponsor, I tried to have sex with a duck. <laughs> and my sponsor looked at her sponsee and says, did your duck die? <laughs> so really, there's pretty much anything you've done, That's funny. your sponsor has probably already done it and you can't shock them, right? right. So. The thing of it is, is when you get to step four, it's not a step that's going to say, hey, I'm here to beat you up, right? Mm -hmm. We don't want to beat you up. We just want you to put this information down, reflect on it and say, you know, these behaviors in my past didn't really work out very well for me. So maybe I don't really want to do these behaviors again. It's kind of just an inventory, right? So the fact of the matter is that everything's going to be all right, right? It really is. It's going to be all right. So if you think about it, everything is going to be all right. And there's a song about everything's going to be all right. Of course there is. Of course there is. <laughs> this song is right here. Kenny Chesney. Everything's going to be all right. You've been feeling low, frustrated, angry, resentful? And she looked back over her shoulder, pointed at the sign on the wall. Who did that? How it works. What's the sign on the wall? How it works. Everything's going to be all right. Why? Because you have step one. That's step two. Don't worry about anything. Don't hit that panic button because you have a higher power. Don't start spilling your coffee. Everything's going to be all right because you have step four. All right. Everything's going to be all right. So I nodded my head. That's for sure. Put some money in the, in the little basket that goes around because we're self-supporting. And all that crap that I've been holding just jumped off my back and I let it go. And I looked back over my shoulder, pointed at the sign, hanging up on the wall, how it works, the 12 and 12 traditions. Everything's gonna be all right. Steps five and six. There's seven and eight. We're back to seven and eight. Don't worry about anything. We've got step nine. We can make our amends. 
It's not as bad as you think. Step 10. Everything's going to be all right. Step 11. Right? And now we get to go to step 12. Why? Because we give back what we have been given so freely. Everything's going to be all right. It's great. This is a great program if you work it, if you get a sponsor, if you get somebody to help you walk through this with you. Everything's going to be all right. And there's a bunch more songs. And there's a bunch more things that you get to share. And the last thing that I want to share with you guys is step 12. Because you're going to eventually get to step 12. And my higher power, I love my higher power. My higher power is the coolest higher power in the whole world, right? And that higher power for me is love, right? Because with a little love, you can go a long way. And you know what? There just happens to be a song for that higher power. No. Can you imagine that, right? What song is this? This is a great song. And it's even got some rhythm, so you can get up and dance to it. And I'm all about dancing. We already know that. <laughs> and this is by Mercy Me. Moving forward, but we're stuck in reverse. Got a head full of headlines, a heart full of doubt. But we're gonna change tomorrow right now. With a little love. Mercy Me, huh? favorite part That's what it's like today. That's what it's like for me today. Do I have bad days? Absolutely. Do I get frustrated? Absolutely. Some days I still, and I'm not going to lie to you, think about suicide. And you know what I do? I talk about it. I talk out loud because if you talk out loud, it gives it less power. I still have a therapist. I still have a sponsor. And I still have lots and lots of AA friends. But this program is what allows me to keep my sanity and to stay sober. And every day, if I need to, I get to go back to step one and start over. What does that mean for you? What that means to me is when I'm having a day where someone has made me, I've allowed someone to make me feel less than, Mm -hmm. and I wanna go and pick up a bottle or 
drink NyQuil or go and get some medicine that I shouldn't be taking, I can go back to step one and I can admit that I am powerless over alcohol. I can admit that to myself. I can say that I am powerless over alcohol and that my life is unmanageable. unmanageable. Because if I do that, my life is going to turn out for the worst. That's what that means to me. Do you have sponsees? Uh, I have not one right now. I have had a few. Uh, my first sponsee unfortunately committed suicide after a year and a half. So um, I've had a couple other sponsees and um, they have also both gone back out. Um, but that has nothing to do with me. I understand that. People will not be ready until they're ready. You can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make them drink. The two sponsees that I had are still very good friends of mine, and they've both come back into the program, and I'm really proud of them, but I wasn't the right sponsor for them. And I don't know why, but I'm a better friend to them in the program than I am a sponsor for them. So um, I feel like at this point where my services is in sharing my story and speaking out about that AA is a wonderful program, um, leading people maybe through the 12 steps and also by allowing people to understand that, you know, this is not just something that is fly by night. You have to work at it and you have to work hard at it, but it's not a hard program. You just have to want it. Your first sponsee who committed suicide, um, I know you've had a history in the past of wanting to die. What, how did that feel when that happened? I'm sorry, by the way. You know, um, she and I had, she wasn't my sponsee at the time when it happened. Okay. She was doing great when she was with me, mm -hmm. and she had decided to move and move to a different area of Colorado. It was about five hours away. And so she had gotten another sponsor at the time and she had moved on from me. Mm -hmm. And um, so we weren't really um, working together as sponsor sponsee at the time. Was this a long time ago or recent? No, it was quite a while ago. Okay. Um, it was about four years ago. Obviously not the first or the last um, who will take their life in the program. But you're not one of those. No. Know? No. No. I, um, I have learned that I have that tendency to feel despair. Um, and when I do that, I surround myself and I stop isolating. And I surround myself by other alcoholics. And I reach out for help. And I say, I'm feeling really, really down today. I really need some help. And I reach out. What do you think, if anything, can be done or said to or told to a person who's feeling suicidal? Like, is it different? It must be different for each person. You the know, degree of depression, maybe. Um, it really is different for each person. I can't tell you. I can only tell you for me. 
if I go to somebody and mm-hmm. I say, look, I am really struggling with depression. Um, I've done the homework. I've gone and gotten the help. Um, I've gone to a therapist. I've gone to a psychiatrist. Um, I know that if I talk about it with somebody, then it, it has less power. Hmm. If I don't talk about it, it gets in my head and it's the squirrel cage and it goes and it goes and the power builds and builds and builds and I make up all these wonderful stories in my head of how horrible of a her- of a person I am mm-hmm. and um, and then it takes over. And um, I have been diagnosed with PTSD, complex t- PTSD, and so um, that's what takes over. Mm-hmm. And I cannot think logically. And so you got some... Uh, medical tools, scientific, a diagnosis, all this stuff. But AA has, has, has given you some spiritual tools. Absolutely. Think, right? Absolutely. And spirituals, I don't know. It, it seems like such a boring word when I, when I pitch it to you because it, it doesn't, it, I don't feel like it covers just the, the happiness that you get of like just talking and the music and how active you are now and just I don't know you know um, how would you describe it um, you mean AA or spirituality yeah like sure both like AA and the solution that you found in AA is it all spiritual do you think it's just spiritual for you or what what is that AA is um, empowerment mm-hmm. AA is allowing you to do take um, control of your destiny you get to choose that you want to be a different person a better person and it allows you to believe that you can become the person you really are instead of the actions you don't want to be does that make sense mm-hmm. so I think that we just are all these actions that nobody has taught us how to change and AA teaches us how to change our actions to be the person we are okay this and, this share I mean not um, what you just said makes total sense if I listen to it again because it's pretty um, like it's pretty deep um, but it's not that deep you know it's not that complicated it, it's, it's pretty simple and cool um, the way that you shared your story today though I gotta admit I've never sat through your story and I've never sat through a story that had music for it at every turn how often do you get to share your story like this or like that using you know with the with the playlist so far I've only shared it twice yeah and I hope to be able to share it more because I think I get a lot of positivity from that people are shocked but um, afterwards I get a lot of positive feedback because I think there's so much spiritual growth from it um, it reaches people in a different way and that's what my higher power has led me to do is to talk people talk to people in a different different way 
If you had to give someone a piece of advice, what would that look like? Just be you. Do you. Just do you. And this is me. Now, what are things, I, I guess, you know, what is a, what has sobriety brought you? What has recovery brought you? You know, they talk about the promises and stuff. So, the promises for me, self-seeking will slip away. We will lose, okay, number seven. Let's see, let me go back, let me go back. The promises. What has it done for me? The promises, that feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. Number six, we will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Number seven, and then number eight, self-seeking will slip away. And number nine, our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Number 10, fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. Number 11, we will intuitively know how to handle situations, situations which used to baffle us. And number 12, we will suddenly realize that God, our higher power, whatever that looks like to you, is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Those are the things that have really come solid for me in this program. Not always. And I slide. And then I go back to step one. Right? That's, that's where my life has changed. And that's what the promises have done for me. Awesome. Heather, thank you so much for doing this, for sharing your story, your experience, strength, and hope, and the, all the preparation that you put into this. It was awesome. So, Well, thank you so much for inviting me to be on your show. I'm, I hope that this does something for somebody, even just one person. And I just really want to thank AA, Bill W., Dr. Bob, my grandfather for what yeah. his part was. Um, I'm definitely not my grandfather, um, but I'm just really grateful to everyone in AA for all the gifts that they've given me because I couldn't have done it without them. Thank you, Heather, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope on the Recovery Edge podcast. That was one of the most unique podcasts I've ever recorded. I'm inspired to create a playlist for my life, uh, my life story. I think that was awesome. So thanks, Heather. And uh, your creativity is pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, thank you, listeners, for checking us out. You can find more of our episodes on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you like to check out your podcasts. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.